our beautiful brains, which Marcus Aurelius says, there is a miracle in your head. The most complicated, unrepeatable, brilliant material in the world is your brain. And it's made out of water, fat, protein, a few carbs, and salt. That's the recipe for bologna. (laughs) Okay, it basically comes down to this. You have to forget everything your culture has told you about being a woman. And then you can begin your day. Hi, I'm Jill Sorensen, and you are listening to the new feminist podcast, The Place for Common Sense Feminism. Today's guest, Karen Duffy, was an iconic MTV VJ, a model. She starred in Dumb and Dumber. She wrote a New York Times bestselling book, and she's even a certified hospital chaplain. In 95, in the midst of her successful career, she was diagnosed with a rare life-threatening disease that changed her life forever, and she has tackled it with just enormous wisdom and positivity. Lucky for us, she shares some of it in her new book called Wise Up, Irreverent Enlightenment from a Mother Who Has Been Through It All. In a series of letters to her son, she shares her funny, heartwarming, and incredibly wise life lessons drawn from the wisdom of the old Stoic philosophers. It's advice that might just change your life, so it's no wonder it's one of Oprah Daly's top 10 books of the year. I just want to say thank you uh, so much for being on the New Feminist Podcast. I am super thrilled to talk to you. <laughs> it is such an honor, Jill, because as an old feminist, to be welcomed to new feminist, it's great. And I'm so happy to be a part of this. I love what you are doing. I greatly I admire like, your heart. Likewise, you admire what you are doing. And, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am about your book and how well it's doing and All the wisdom that you share, I think everyone needs. So I like to start at the beginning. So just so people who listen know who you are and about you, tell us quickly about you. I know that's kind of a hard question, but just quickly. Well, uh, (laughs) I can start in the beginning when you and I met. (laughs) My name's Karen Duffy, and I was a recreational therapist working with people in memory care and Alzheimer's at the village nursing home. And I realized that my skills, that my elocution, and that I I knew how to move my body to have people pay attention to me, that I was like, those skills could be used, I bet you at MTV, because MTV was reducing the memory, and I worked on a memory (laughs) care. So I just made a homemade video and sent it into MTV. And I went from doing commercials to getting a job at MTV. And when I got that job, Jill, I felt that there was a real responsibility because I was going to be on TV five nights a week. So I decided if I was going to be participating in popular culture, I wanted to go back and read the classics and really get a familiarity so I would understand classical wisdom. And that's really ignited my fire to study 
philosophy, specifically the school of Stoicism, which it sounds like it's so stodgy, but it is the philosophy of happiness. And it is the philosophy of not just how to live your life, but loving the living of your life. And so that really helped starting off on MTV. And and then I got sick and could no longer be on camera. And so I'd always been writing for Spin and Rolling Stone and Glamour and New York Times. And I've been writing books for the past 20 years. Love it. And you mm-hmm. are an actress because I love Dumb and Dumber. It's such a funny <laughs> movie. <laughs> You might want to add that. So funny. I was so lucky that my first movie <laughs> and Farley's first movie wound up being something that people really enjoy. And I met friends for life. It was just a delight. It was really cool. For anyone listen, Duff plays the criminal in there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it was funny. I tried to get everybody, Jill. I was good friends with Chris Farley, God bless him in heaven. And I was trying to get Fish Stevens and Matt Dillon. I was trying to get all my male friends to be in this movie. And Jim Carrey wound up getting the role and changing his career. And he wanted his girlfriend to play his girlfriend in the movie. And I said, I'll do craft services. And so the, the role that I play was originally the role of a man but I just played it in a dress. Oh, I love it. I didn't even know that. Oh my God. That's yes. Love it. They didn't change one line. That's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't know all that backstory. But anyway, so your new book, Wise Up, which I just finished last night and I absolutely love and I believe every single human being should read it. They're letters to your son and it's filled with so much great life advice and these funny, amazing tidbits of information that I didn't even know existed. (laughs) No, that was the joy was, you know, originally I wrote it as a book of essays and I was working in Greece and I realized the Stoics have a tradition of writing letters. Same thing in the New Testament. There's letters to Paul from Paul to the Corinthians. And one of the great Stoics, Seneca, has a book called letters to a young stoic and i thought if i could write this letter to a person that i love so incandescently that i hoped that the love would kind of shine through the letters so really they're not really written they're written to the reader but i just use this as a device to kind of be able to share like so many cheeky jokes and weird facts. What is Stoic philosophy? Because I wasn't familiar with it before your book. Stoic philosophy was founded 2,000 years ago, but it reads as if the ink is still wet. It is incredibly modern, and we often confuse the word Stoic as a stiff upper lip right? with the school of thought called Stoic. And the capital S Stoic philosophy comes from the Greek word for porch. So in ancient Greece and ancient Athens, Plato had his academy. Aristotle had his peripatetic school. Aristotle believed that all great thoughts happen in peripatu when we're peripatetic and walking, which I really love. But the Stoics 
said, no, this is wisdom for everyone. So let's just sit on the main porch, the painted porch, and let's just have everyone listen and everyone come and everyone be illuminated and lifted up. Yeah. You certainly make it very modern in the book. It's just the most intelligent life advice. What drove you to write this book? Your son? Well, so I've been studying Stoic wisdom for 30 years, and I live with a chronic illness, and so I have a lot of downtime. And in that downtime, I took courses. And what I love is Richard Fetterman said, education is free. What we pay is attention. And so while I'm waiting for my medicine to work or I'm getting, you know, I'm getting, you know, my IVs, I would take courses online. And I've been traveling the world, speaking at Stoic conferences with Modern Stoicism, which is amazing, Plato's Academy, the Aurelius Foundation, and Stoic Cares. And in our home, we have a tradition where there's no technology at the table, only the sports pages and philosophy books. And so my son really got into reading The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday, who's amazing. And I realized that if I wrote a book in a series of letters that were fun and had a sense of humor and, 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 and reflected the joy of Stoic wisdom, I think it could help people navigate life and be grateful. And how old is your son now? And is he's going off to college? Yes. So I was writing this when he was in boarding school. And so I was writing as he was transitioning to go to college. And I asked his permission if I could use his name. And he said, but please use my real name. Don't use my nickname because I'm really proud of you. And um, what's amazing is I feel... I felt that philosophy was somewhat impenetrable and that it was kind of elevated and I wasn't going to love it. And when I found Stoic wisdom, it was just so clear. One of my favorite quotes from Epictetus is, if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. That's amazing. So who is Epictetus? Tell us a little bit. Epictetus, okay, so Epictetus, I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> yeah, no, you got it. You you nailed it in your beautiful Swedish accent. Epictetus was a slave in Rome, and he was his name means acquired. We don't even know his real name. He was enslaved, and his wisdom was so it was it was just so luminous that his master who was sadistic. We've heard of Emperor Nero. He was Nero's secretary. And he broke Epictetus's leg. And the way you can always tell him when you're looking at philosophers is he's always shown with a walking stick. So he lived in chronic pain, and I share that. And I fell in love with a translation that I adore. It is The Art of Living. It is Epictetus, but translated by Sharon LaBelle. And it is a masterpiece book. And when I read that, it was like a cherry bomb going off in a symbol factory. I was like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. So Epictetus became a philosopher and he gave lectures 
And one of his scribes copied them. And Epictetus was truly one of the most renowned Stoics. And then Marcus Aurelius studied. He was the last of the five great emperors. He was an emperor and king of the Greco-Roman Empire. So there's a little bit of a history lesson, but you don't need to know the history to understand the beauty of Marcus Aurelius when his quote says, when you arise in the morning, think what a privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to love. That's what stoicism is. That that just gave me goosebumps. Yeah, we take Mm -hmm. life so for granted and we forget to be grateful and honored to get to be here and live our lives. Truly. Truly. So what are, I know there's just a million pieces of good advice Mm -hmm. in the book, but what Mm -hmm. are the top three most important pieces of life advice that you personally live by? Number one is Epictetus's idea that he, the, the tire quote is, you are not your hairstyle or your clothes. You are your choices. And if your choices are beautiful, so too will you be. And I kind of condensed it to, if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. And I think that makes us aware that we have so much control. Mm -hmm. The main theory of the Stoics is the idea that we can't control what happens. We can only control how we respond. That's everything. Uh, That's everything. everything. I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous uses the serenity prayer, which is truly based in Stoicism. Like, grant me the wisdom, you know, to know the difference. And you're asking, you're praying for wisdom and to know what you can control, what's out of your control, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that is directly taken from the Stoics. Gratitude is not only the most important virtue, but it is the mother to all other virtues. If you are grateful, you can be generous. If you are grateful, you can be kind. If you're grateful, it'll jimmy up that bad mood. So the Stoics believed in journaling and really focusing on being grateful, you know, staying cool, like, you know, understanding life. Jill, we only get 4,000 weeks if we're lucky. We get 4,000 weeks. Yeah. We live like we have forever and not thinking about we have 4,000 weeks. That's it. Okay. You are making, you are such a good stoic after one day, Jill. That's exactly <laughs> what the stoics say. Like We act as if we have forever and we never really know. They say tempest fugit. Time flies. The stoics have encouraged me. I'm definitely much steadier. I don't get upset as much because I'm like, you know what? I'm breathing. I've got a cup of tea. I live in the greatest city in the world. Like, all right. I still like when you're ready to explode again, start counting things you're grateful for. And it does help. It really does help. Yeah. So you say in your book, which I love here, unhelpful pattern responses imprison us. And we have all the key to our own cages. And and that reading and educating ourselves is a way to pick the lock. Are there any other things we can do 
when we get stuck to remember that we're actually the captains of our lives and not the victims. I love that. Jill, there's nothing less sexy than a victim. Like it's, it's just so unsexy to be a victim. So educating yourself, but taking action every day. I write a thank you note to some random person and I have stationary. I, I make sure it doesn't have my return because it's not reciprocity. Right. I'm just taking a moment to say thank you. I don't know these people, but I was like, you know, my heroes. I'll send notes to, you know, somebody I read about in the newspaper. It's it's just taking action. It's really, I think we can get caught in our own heads. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said, you don't have to take the whole staircase. Just take the first step in faith. And I think that is a great thing. Just take a little step every day, a little step. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's really good advice. You have sarcoidosis. Am I even saying that right? It's a treatable but uncurable disease. What is it and, and how has that affected your life and day-to-day life and outlook? Sarcoidosis, it's a chronic condition. There's no cure yet. And it mainly attacks people's lungs. And what happens is we grow these tumors that are granular. So rather, like most tumors are lumps. But what happens with sarcoidosis is anywhere we have soft tissue, skin, lungs, brain, any of our organs, bone marrow, anything soft becomes like sugar and um, and then impedes the function. So I've had it in my brain for two decades and my doctor's Italian and he says it's the size of a mustacholi it's a noodle about the size of a pencil so I am very rare only three percent of the cases are neurological sarcoidosis it mainly affects lungs and breathing and it is epidemic in the population of black women between the ages of 20 and 40 Hmm. so it's and it's really it's been under-researched because it mainly affects women. So women, because of our childbearing age, uh, a lot of researchers have held off studying. There is hope and treatment and living in chronic pain taught me that pain is inevitable. We're all going to feel pain, but suffering can be optional. So while I live in chronic pain, I'm not suffering. I'm not enjoying it, I'm negotiating with it. So like when you have a chronic illness, people are always saying, oh, you're going to fight this and we're going to battle it and we're going to blast. And I was like, whoa, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Let's just get rid of all of that warlike metaphor. Nikki Giovanni, a poet, I love that she said she's negotiating with cancer. And I think that's the best way kind of view it. It's a negotiation. Now, you say in your book that you have some mornings of just extreme pain where you can't even get out of bed. I can't put clothes on, yeah. Like, I'm wearing a pain patch right now. And you don't feel your hands? And feet. And feet. So, rather than just sit on my beautiful pink couch and wait for the medicine to work, maybe I'll feel better if I'm like, if I'm reading... I read some poetry, if I just do something 
just taking small acts of service really helps. And that's been great. I mean, there's some amazing ways to be of service. Like this month, it's Foster Child Awareness Month. And there's a couple of great organizations where you can be a mentor or you can send a care package to a kid who aged out of foster care but is in a school. So I love the fact that, like, you know, you can just do small little things. Mm-hmm. So how do you, I sound like a baby now, but I have a, had a accident in my 20s where I hurt my back. And every once in a while, I get a week, I'm straight on my back in severe pain. Now that, and, and I have such respect and understanding. I mean, to, to that degree of people living with chronic pain. And you have the, this most amazing positive outlook. And I'm wondering if you can share about that. Well, you know, the word pain comes from the Latin quona meaning punishment or penalty. And living in pain can feel like you're serving a lifetime sentence for a crime you didn't commit. So it's interesting. So acute pain would be, usually there's a visible injury, a break, a bruise, stitches. And acute pain usually will resolve after about three months. Any pain that goes on longer than three months is chronic. Chronic comes from the Greek chronos, meaning time, and acute means pointy and sharp. So the sharp pain that hurts but will get better is very different from the pain that we live with. And pain destroys language. Like when you're in pain, can you even speak? No. No. And total PTSD and and, and stress and trying to control my mind to go to a positive place. And another thing, that really haunted me was shame. I was so embarrassed that I was sick and that my life didn't turn out the way I expected. I mean, I was on a pretty good trajectory and all of a sudden... You still are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But all of a sudden my life stopped and I had to figure out, I had to mourn for my old life and figure out a whole new life. And I just decided that I was never going to feel shame or embarrassment. If I was unkind, that would be the only time. And if I was unkind and a jackass, then I would, you know, try and make reparations and, you know, do my best. But if I just ripped a tugboat fart on your uh, on your <laughs> podcast, I would be like, okay, sorry. Go ahead. But I wouldn't get hung up. <laughs> I I wouldn't get hung up on it. And um, what I have found is that Epictetus lived in chronic pain. And I just really, you know, this is a man who lived in shackles and he still, he has influenced for 2000 years, the greatest minds. So I just found for me, reading is incredible. Books are not just lifeless lumps of paper. They are minds alive and that when we open them up and give them our attention, we may kindle a great love. And I have a great love for the Stoics, which makes me feel even more grateful for my life. Mm-hmm. And I love the, what you say in the book that little things you do for other people as you go about your day. For example, the guy with the fruit cart or something, you, you watch his fruit cart while he goes to the bathroom or the people yeah. in the coffee shop. I mean, that is so 
beautiful. That's that's how we all should live. It was funny. I was on the phone with my sister yesterday, and my sister runs Meals on Wheels in Philadelphia. She said, hold on. This is a really long driveway. So just give me like five minutes. But I waited. And then so I thought, well, gosh, my sister's out there delivering food to people. This is probably the only person they're going to see, the only meal that they're going to have that day. I decided I'm going to try and do as many acts of kindness until my sister gets back on the phone. So anytime, like, you know, anyone, I had an umbrella. I was like, do you want to get under my umbrella? I would open the door for people. Somebody sneezed. And I was like, God bless you. <laughs> and then I saw his Muslim and I was like, Allah bless you. And that was a fun little thing. And it was like, so my sister came back and I said, yeah, man, you just gave me this five minute window to be as much like you as I could be in that moment. One thing that holds us back is embarrassment. We're embarrassed to say, oh, you know, if you see somebody struggling with a, a stroller or somebody who's cleaning up after their dog and they've got a coffee, I'm like, I'll hold your coffee for you. Like, just like, just tiny little things when you're awake, they multiply. And then you feel like, gosh, maybe I'm not such a knucklehead. And so it works out. Yeah. And it, it connects us too in a beautiful way. Yes. So, and I love here in the book again that you write, paranoia is the belief that the world is conspiring against you. And pronoia, am I pronouncing it right? Mm-hmm. Is the world is conspiring for you. How do you implement that belief in your daily life? So Wolfgang Goethe, another philosopher and writer and essayist, he said, when you set your mind on a purpose, the universe will conspire to make it so. And I just realized if I give up on promoting the idea that Stoic wisdom is a great philosophy for men, women, kids, then if I give up, then I'll lose that purpose. I love the purpose of, I've studied to be a hospice chaplain, and I don't think I would have had the courage to do that. It taught me to not be afraid and not be afraid of helping or of saying, may I, may I be of service? There's nothing worse than if somebody's in a wheelchair and you give them a look of pity or a blind person, you could actually intrude. But if you if it's a really rainy day and you're just like, can I be of service? Do you need a hand? That's all you need to say. And it's usually yes or no. That's amazing. What is a hospice chaplain, by the way? So at the hospital that I worked at, I worked on the oncology unit. And there were many, many people who had been incarcerated for most of their lives, people who had been homeless and didn't have a connection. And Donna Karen, the designer, created an entire floor of this hospital. And they did yoga for patients, for the staff, and for the visitors. And my job as a chaplain was just to be present, just to just, if they wanted to talk, I would be there for them. It was incredible. There was this one woman, I would visit her every week. She said, my family came and we had the TV on and we saw you, I saw you on the Emmys. And I said, that girl visits me. And they thought, oh, she's really lost it. <laughs> and so she's like, we've got to call them. Because they didn't believe me. They thought I was seeing things. I was like, no, no, I was there over the weekend. That was me. It was funny. 
Um, so I no longer, because of my illness I, and because of COVID, I can no longer um, do the intimate chaplaincy, which is holding hands and a lot of touching. So now I do it, you know, talking to people either online or FaceTime or I'll go visit people. I am no longer with the village Zendo. I kind of just just do it as a volunteer. Mm, that's amazing. I love it. So you talk a lot about finding purpose, life purpose in your book. How did you find yours? I mean, you kind of answer it, but Yeah, well, you know, when Jill, when we met when we were kids, I mean, I was working at the nursing home and modeling and with you guys and working at MTV. I kept my job at the nursing home for about a year when I was working full-time at MTV. I, I went to part-time and then volunteered. And I found that if your purpose is greater than yourself, my purpose, what I hope to do is share the wisdom of the Stoics, encourage people to read. I feel like that is just seems so naturally. I have a love for reading. I've really taught myself every day. I try and teach myself a quote. We forget 80% of what we've learned the day before. I read that and in women, book. <laughs> I know. And, and women are really critical about our, our memories. And Squirrels forget 80% of where they hide their nuts. Really? I mean, and I just feel like, yeah, they do. That's why they look so busy all the time. You're like, I think the they're squirrels. like, where are my nuts? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel that women are really critical about ourselves. And sometimes, like, I, last night I was at this event at Tavern on the Green and I just saw these, you know, gorgeous women. I was like, what else are we going to do? do like between like our hair eyelashes eyebrows getting our mustaches and <laughs> I was like we're enough um but we tend to be really critical I talked to my doctor and I said you know with COVID everyone's saying well the side effect is brain fog I was like if you tell people that they may have brain fog I'm gonna tell you Everyone's going to say, yeah, oh, I've got brain fog. I said, why don't you just tell all your patients, oh, one of the side effects of COVID is dead sexiness. Be careful. <laughs> your charisma is off the charts. It'll be irresistible. And he was like, because that would be very irresponsible. But I was like, I think we should stop telling women that our memories are bad. We, the hormones that drive the miracle that is our brain, be like, I just realized that our brain is so compassionate. It's doing so much. Our beautiful brains, which Marcus Aurelius says, there is a miracle in your head. The most complicated, unrepeatable, brilliant material in the world is your brain. And it's made out of water, fat, protein, a few carbs, and salt. That's the recipe for bologna. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the same stuff that's insane it makes us laugh and read and it's amazing yeah yeah and we only use a very small part of it <laughs> of well, the you know, I, <laughs> but you know i taught myself how to work on my memory because a lot of times i had to read scripts one of the ways 
that you can remember things is if you write it down by hand, not with your thumbs. If you want to remember something, write it down. And often if it's important, write it down three times. And then you're engaging all your senses, your sense of smell, your sense of taste, where the letters are in space. And you'll be able to have a more adept memory. Oh, I definitely need it. (laughs) (laughs) We all do. So I have uh, just a few quick questions that I know you always have really good answers for. So Mm -hmm. what is the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing before going to bed? Okay. Do you know that, okay, when we get into bed, we lay there and close our eyes and we pretend we're asleep, right? Right. We just sit there and pretend. And then eventually our brain is like, oh, okay. Joe wants our brain, wants us to shut down. And doesn't it feel like that takes forever? Yeah, (laughs) some nights. (laughs) On average, it's less than seven minutes. Wow. So I pray, I read, and I count my blessings, say prayers of gratitude. And then when I wake up, I kind of think, okay, like, what can I feel? And then it's usually like a good morning prayer. And it takes me a while. I've got to take, I've got to swallow the medicine and it takes about an hour to work. And I think, again, my thoughts are the first thing. Like, I love my life and I'm grateful for my life and I'm grateful for the people in it. So that's how I kind of bookend the day, no matter what happened. Do you have certain, is there a specific morning prayer or some quotes that you live by? in the morning or at night? Yes. You know, Mother Teresa, you know, who worked in Calcutta with the lepers, she said, we all can't do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Mm -hmm. I think about that. I'm Catholic, so I say the rosary. They could practically make rosary beads out of sleeping pills because you're like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, in the morning I probably should do stretching, but I, I really, I don't. And maybe that will be a goal for me, you know, to all of our sisters, listen to new feminists. It's so important that we love ourselves because when we love ourselves and accept ourselves as we are just the way we are, and then I figure, all right, well, you know what? There's room for improvement. Okay, the future Duff is, you know, going to hit 10,000 steps. And the future Duff's going to maybe do a sit-up. But I realize that the Duff right now, who I am, like, I'm all right. I'm breathing. I'm alive. I'm feeling gratitude. Again, I love that quote by Dr. King that you don't have to take the first staircase, the whole staircase. Just take the first step. Like, I like it baby stepping, you know, just like staying committed to yourself, believing in yourself. We have so much negative self-talk. And yeah. our brain is a supercomputer. And our thoughts are the programs that, that we run. So if we're saying, uh, I got to lose 10 pounds Oh, you, you know, I, I, I can't parallel park. If you focus on all the negative, your body doesn't want to use the energy to disagree with you. So your brain's going to be like, okay, that's who you are. But I think if you just incrementally 
take a moment to just be like, yes, it is a privilege to be alive. Life is not perfect. I mean, I just got off the subway. It's not perfect. There's a lot of room. And I feel my responsibility, Muhammad Ali said, service is the rent we pay for life on earth. And I really like that idea that we have to pay rent for our lives. I mean, the statistics that we are even here are like one in 10 billion. Amazing. So those are all great quotes and thoughts. So if you could tell your younger self something, what would it be? Mm. Okay. When I was just graduated college, I thought, this is it. I've got to have it all figured out. I've got to get my career. And I spent so much time stressing about the job that I was going to get and how I was going to make that happen and how was I going to pay back my student loans. and Looking back, I I understand like I I should have had more confidence in myself because I did pull it off. But perhaps in that growth, you know, you just don't get shot out of a cannon with confidence. It's something you earn. And I think I had to earn the confidence and earn the grace through obstacles. You know, I don't look at, at obstacles or problems as something surprising. I think it was Aristotle said, It is expected that unexpected things will happen. So meaning the problem is we don't expect problems. So as a grateful stoic, I'm grateful, but I know that the apple cart could get flipped over at any moment. And how I respond is up to me. Mm -hmm. I know. I wish I'd known all this when I was 20. We had to earn it, sister. We had to earn it. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so what do you do for fun? Well, my husband's family has a farm, which we inherited, and it's up in the Berkshires in Northwest Connecticut. And I have two donkeys. I love that. I love donkeys. I'm upset. I want a donkey myself. Since I was 10 years old, I've been wanting a donkey. (laughs) Yeah, you need two because oh, they need um, a buddy. they're very compassionate. Yeah, you can't have one donkey. And donkeys yeah. are unbelievable. So we have a farm and I love walking and I love thinking. I didn't grow up with animals and I eloped with my husband and I didn't know he came with the farm and he didn't know that I had never had a pet. And having these donkeys are just incredible. There's some donkeys in our community that get dressed up, wear hats, and they go and visit the hospital. (laughs) And where um, I was having dinner with John um, down at Mercer Street, and he said, oh, I've got a surprise for you. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And he said, oh, it should be here today. And I was like, what is it? And he said, I got you a water buffalo. I was like, wow, that is a surprise, because I never even thought of a water Water buffalo." buffalo. Yeah. So he, we have 15 cows and he got a water buffalo calf. You know, the oh, buffalo wow. mozzarella, you know, the burrata comes from water buffalo milk. What? Um, I had no and, idea. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that either. What? It's like, yeah, it's got 15% um, milk fat. So it's got more fat than any other milk. That's why burrata is so silky. So we have this water buffalo and he's 
tiny. His name is Walter. And he had a brother. And his brother is a therapy water buffalo. And again, it's a calf. So he's the size of a calf. And the kids from the future farmers of America take the water buffalo and put him in a trailer and then bring him to the veterans' homes. And then the the buffalo's head is right where the bed is. So he puts his head down and they get to rub his head. Amazing. No, so I know. I'll send you photos because Augie is coming to move in with us. He has one more therapy job and then he's going to come and live at the farm for the rest oh of his my life God, that's so nice i want water buffalo therapy <laughs> I know. isn't it great that is so and great i love it you know we live in a rural area and the veterans most of them grew up on farms or near farms so what a grace to have these young volunteers lead their animals through the hospital I was like, I like, what if he steps on somebody's oxygen wire? They're like, they don't do that. They said, we're really careful, but it's amazing. So I, uh, I just, I just love walking and looking at birds and being a part of nature. And I, I love walking in New York. It's just my favorite thing to do. Love it. All right. The last question, if your life was a movie, what would be the title of it? Would it be a comedy, tragedy, romance, action film, art house flick? Uh, <laughs> I know it's a hard see. question, but uh, if anyone is, can it's, answer it's it, it's you. <laughs> okay. I like how unique and thought-provoking your questions are. <laughs> so if my life was a movie, I think it would have to be a comedy because so much of my life is filled with laughter. You know, it's amazing a one-year-old laughs 400 times a day and an adult laughs 15 times a day. I, I read women that in laugh book. more than men. Yeah. yeah, women laugh more than men. Um, oh, good. So it would be a comedy. <laughs> and I kind of like the Weisenheimer primer. Like, it, would be, it would be an educational film. Um, because when I was on MTV, again, like, I just didn't want to be some dope being like, here's another poison video. Here's Guns N' Roses. So I would study all these weird facts. Like, by the time you say, just repeat after me, 7,000 puppies. 7,000 puppies. In the time that it took for you to say 7,000 puppies, 7,000 puppies were born in America. Whoa. So I would collect all these insane facts. Or like... Like your book is filled the with them. Yeah. Like before we had the Bible in the Greco-Roman Empire, if you had to swear on your honor, we didn't have a Bible. So they swore on their testicles, which is why we have the word testify and testimony. It's all connected to the nuts. Whoa, what did the women swear on? <laughs> I know. Well, women didn't. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we could borrow anybody's um, <laughs> anybody's nuts. Um, but I love studying the entomology of words. Like senator means old man. And a seminar comes from the base root of semen. Like a, a group of men is a seed. Like it was a, a group of men. All these words so, around men because they were in charge of ruling the world, I guess. And that's why my new book, is about language 
and how the root of what we say is often can be misogynistic. And right. my goal is to remember, I believe that sloppy speech can lead to sloppy thinking. And we often say things without knowing the root of what they are. Like so many parts of the female reproductive system are named after men. The fallopian tubes are named after Gio, Dr. Giovanni Fallopio. And the vulva uh-huh. means thing to be ashamed of. What? So, yes. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be a really good book. You're going to have to come back and talk about this. <laughs> I know. It's a joy to uncover because this is so important. We need to take control over how we speak. I have a Rasta friend, and he's always like, ah, Duff, I don't like all these untidy words in rap music. He calls them untidy. He doesn't like vulgarity. And I was like, oh, I'm with you, Mr. Perry. And he really inspired me that we should be aware of how we speak, because that's a reflection. Our words come from our brain out of our mouths and wherever they land, they can either hurt or help. So I think that that's going to be, this is a great book to research. It's been really fun. Oh, yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Words are really powerful and we don't think about what they mean or where they come from. So, but anyway, Duff, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're so busy doing PR and press for your book, which is amazing. It's called Wise Up for anyone who's listening and we'll add the link on our website as well, the link to buy it. You are an amazing and inspiring and beautiful individual. So thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's an honor, my love. And I hope that I can see you in person. Let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Let me know if you come out to LA. I'm going to be in New York this summer, late summer oh, at great. some point. So great. You can come and meet my water see. buffalo. Oh, my too. Oh, my God. I love that animals. I'm obsessed with animals. <laughs> I remember that. Okay. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you so much, Steph. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. For info and links on our guests, go to our website, thenewfeminist.net, and make sure to subscribe. We always love to hear from you. If you have someone you think we should speak to, let us know. And make sure to follow on Instagram at thenewfeministofficial. We'll be back in two weeks with a new podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Jill Sorensen. Thanks for listening. Our producers are Sienna Jackson and Jill Sorensen. Our editor is Lucy Baker Swinburne. Original music by Richard Baskin. You can contact us at thenewfeminist.net. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or review. This is your host, Jill Sorensen. You've been listening to The New Feminist. Until our next episode, thank you for listening.